Hello, and welcome to The Premise. I'm Jennifer Thompson. Today, I'm excited to bring you an interview that I conducted with an author who is brought to us via Zoom from Warwick's Books in La Jolla. Enjoy. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. So this is such an honor for me. I am so excited about this book. Um, Grand is a gorgeous book, but before I dive in and start gushing all over the place on this book, I want to introduce you officially. Sarah Schaefer is a stand-up comedian and writer. She was the co-host of MTV's Nikki and Sarah Live and has written for numerous television shows, including The Fake News with Ted Nelms and the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor. Sarah's solo show, Little White Box, debuted to a sold-out run at the 2017 Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and her Comedy Central stand-up presents special premiered in 2019, which is Fantastic. Sarah lives in Los Angeles. How is it there in Los Angeles? How are you doing? It's fine. Um, I have, feel like I haven't been outside in a long time because I've been really busy, but um, mm. but lucky to be busy. And um, right? Yeah. Yeah. Feeling crazed, but like grateful crazed, if that makes sense. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a big um, deal. This yeah. is a very kind of different for you. This is a very personal. Mm-hmm way to be on, you know, in the public eye. Yeah. Um, so I imagine it's been kind of, um, I don't know, surreal. <laughs> yeah. um, it's a very personal story. You share a lot with your readers. Um, did you ever have this feeling when it was set to be published and you had a pub, pub date, like, oh my God, what have I done? Can I take it back? Um, yeah, that was a roller coaster ride from day one. I mean, from, um, you know, starting to work on this book and uh, being really afraid to share some of this stuff. I mean, it's, I was talking to some um, family about it. of just like, this hits every corner for me. Like every little, every little dark corner in my brain gets touched. And um, every part of my life, you know, um, is visited at some point. And so uh, it's a lot at once um, to right. reveal, even though it feels like just a sliver. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm only revealing just a just a sliver, but like the Grand Canyon, it goes it deep, goes deep all the way. <laughs> it goes all the way to the bottom of my soul. Um, but uh, yeah, it is very different than my stand-up. Um, mm-hmm. In that, you know, it's it's really my my stand-up has always been personal, but it's not. Um, as revealing as this or as heartfelt and, and there's a lot of sincere in this yeah. book. But I think that that's really actually more of who I am as a storyteller. Mm. Um, uh, this is a, a more actually kind of a more comfortable place for me to be. Mm. Um, and being funny is really, it's a labor. It's like, um, you know, I think when I first started out in comedy, I was more of a storyteller um, in ways I, I did mm. music. I did, I tried a lot of different stuff, but one of the mm-hmm. things I did when I first really started working on how am I a solo performer on stage? Um, once I moved away, I started with some comedy, some, uh, some musical comedy. I was doing funny songs. Um, I started, uh, 
telling little stories from my life. And then I, at the end, I would have a video of it, like from my childhood or, Oh, wow. Okay. I'd, That's you know, cool. I'd read a note, a boy wrote me, I would have some kind of media prop, right. you know, prop that went with right. it. Um, and I, I loved, it was harder for me to write short punchline jokes. Hmm. I've gotten much better at that um, over, over time. But um, ultimately I think this is actually creatively in some ways more comfortable, but also very difficult and challenging. And I've never done anything like this before. So, well, you can't tell, I mean, it's so good. I am, it's like, it's so raw and it's so personal. And I think it's something that so many of us can relate to. I mean, talk about going deep, like the Grand Mm -hmm. Canyon. Um, Mm -hmm. There's this reoccurring theme in your book, you know, this moral anxiety in Grand, Mm -hmm. an obsession with being good and being seen as good, but also this internal struggle with not feeling good enough. Yeah. In some ways, it's, it's kind of a redemptive story. Did you know when you sat down to write it that, that it would reveal, I mean, did you know that this was the theme of the story or did it kind of reveal um, itself as you were writing? It kind of went all over the map for a while there. You know, I think anyone who's tried to write a memoir thinks they have an idea and then you sit down to write it and you're like, what is this? No, totally. And it's too much flying around in your head and too much from your life to think about and try to, uh, and try to include. And, um, but when I first um, came up with the idea for the book and, and was working on the proposal, the black and white thinking moral anxiety was a central theme. Hmm. Um, what I didn't know yet and what I discovered in the book was where that really came from. I knew on the surface, but I really explored it more deeply and then how it plays out um, in my life now. But how it's so funny and I, I know that I'm sure I'm being very cliche when I say this, but my therapist, um, <laughs> like a memoir, yeah. a memoir writer being like, my therapist helped me <laughs> a lot. But Memoir I, is therapy. Let's just is. be clear. Yeah. But when I, when I started working with my current therapist uh, now about six years ago, uh, five or six years ago, she would constantly say, she would just say, you've got public and you've got private your public self and your private self. And, and she kept being public versus private public. And I would just be like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, that's part of your problem is that you don't know <laughs> what I'm talking about. And so one theme that really came up that I didn't realize while writing the book was how much of my story and who I am is shaped by wanting to control the narrative of your mm-hmm. life and the story yeah. you tell yourself versus those that you tell the world and the voice in your head telling you one thing, but then the reality being something else mm-hmm. and the lies that the negative voice tells you or um, other people telling your story for you and wanting to control and take back your story. All those things um, were probably the part that I really wasn't re- expecting. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I find that when you're writing memoir, well, first of all, it's scary as hell. You know, it's like, oh, I'm putting myself out onto this page and I hope people won't crucify me for it. But then all of a sudden you start to remember things. And I do feel like there's so much healing 
in discovering things about yourself maybe you didn't realize as you analyze mm-hmm. a, a scene or um, you know, talk about things that are kind of painful. And, you know, I laughed and I cried throughout this book. Like it's so, like I said, it's raw, it's honest, it's real life. Um, one of the things I was thinking about, like this is a really good time for this book right now. I, wow. I know it's maybe it doesn't feel like the best time to release a book during COVID-19, <laughs> but it's a really good book for people to read during COVID-19 because I've had this theme in my life, and I, I think you've experienced this too, based on what I read. But so myself, my clients, and my friends, we have this sense of like guilt, like we're supposed to act a certain way, and we're overwhelmed by this like burden. It, everything feels overwhelming, and it feels hard, and it feels emotional, and you know, with Black Lives Matter and COVID, and politically, like mm-hmm. I, sometimes I feel like, can I get out of bed today? Mm-hmm. But then I feel guilty. Like, who am I to feel like, oh, woe is me when I have it so good? Mm -hmm. So I don't know, when I was reading this book, I kind of felt like, you know, it's like permission to like, yeah, it's okay to like feel these things. And, you know, we all face our emotions and like you faced them head on, wrote about them and shared them with the world. Oh, thank you. That means so much to me. I mean, it really, um, I feel like going through this process of writing this book has made it easier for me to uh, get through this really crazy experience we're all living through. Hmm. Because if I didn't have the tools that I have now and the the perspective I have now, I think moral anxiety right now is forefront in Hmm. our public conversation because we are in a situation where we have to care for others and we have to put others into our mind of like, I have to wear a mask, not just to protect myself, but to protect others. How something so simple, yeah, so explosive of an issue, right? That is fascinating to me. <laughs> and also that, that I see uh, a lot of shaming happening on every mm-hmm. level. It's not a, a left, right, blue, red thing. It's within every little group of Mm -hmm. oh you went to your parents house to stay you went right date you went you know you did this I'm at home doing this and I'm you're breaking the rules that I've set up for my rules everyone's obsessed with rules right now and policies but we don't have all that information and everyone's weighing the risk of going out in the world and I've thought a lot about how this pandemic as I feel I have become a more private person over the past five years, but now the book is like me going out in the world and I'm taking this risk. And so yeah. I feel like I'm coming out of my own mental lockdown right now. <laughs> and what a time to come out of your, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it, it's definitely um, a time where some, a book like this, I think I would hope that people would read it and realize one and, and tying it to the black lives matter, um, the uprising that we're Mm -hmm. in and that there's a real reckoning going on amongst a lot of white people, which is Mm -hmm. overdue. I myself, it's a journey, a process. I felt that I was woke. I hate that word because it's overused, but totally, but I felt like I had gone through a sort of awakening earlier, but this was a new reckoning of, I have way more to learn 
more to do. Um, and then really thinking about my book, which, you know, in my book, I really did think about before all this George Floyd stuff and everything. I mean, so I've been working on the book for three years. I, there was early versions that had some discussion of race in it and, and our whiteness Mm -hmm. in this story as a family. And, um, Mm. I chose not to really go into it because, and I'm struggling with that moral choice. Yeah. I didn't know if I could handle it. There was too much I was trying to tell. And I was like, this just isn't that book. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, am I even, is my voice even needed in the conversation? You know, there's a lot of that, like, should I even say anything right now? My voice isn't needed. Step aside. You know, there's a lot of, um, vo- a lot of people telling you right now what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. That's really stressful. Absolutely. Yeah. And as a white person, you know, coming from a life of, you know, what, privilege, just simply being white, mm-hmm. um, that I can, I'm with you. Yeah. I thought, you know, before all, you know, black lives happened, which I'm so glad it did. And I'm so glad, I'm so glad to see people like, you know, rising up and, and speaking that this enough is enough. But then I have this feeling of like, isn't, does, should I even put my voice in the conversation? Like, who am I to have a voice? And yet I'm passionate about it. My eyes are opening. Like I'm just seeking out information and we've kind of gotten off track, but I'm absolutely with you. (laughs) And I hope that, and I hope that other people, other white people in particular will like, Hey, pay a little more attention, like be a little more aware, well, a lot more aware of, you know, what is happening in this world and the social justice that we need to see. But I'm going to totally change the subject. Yeah, totally. I, yeah, I get off on, on a tangent so easy. I do too. So we (laughs) we could like, we could be here all night long. I wondered though, because there's a scene in the book. So now I'm going to go back and then I'll change the subject. But there is, there is a point in the book where, you know, your mom starts this wonderful organization, you know, helping, um, less fortunate people. And, mm-hmm. and I wondered at, at some point about, you know, um, the, the privilege, the life of privilege. And you do mention it in your book, going from, you know, the, the, the side of the tracks where you're all privileged and you get a pinball machine for Christmas mm-hmm. to the other side of the tracks where mo- your mom rewraps gifts to make it look like there's more mm-hmm. to give, to create that special magic feeling yeah. on Christmas. Like I so appreciated that, um, the, the, there was so much love in this book. Like, I love your family. I hear that through the book. Yeah, like, That's just, well, it really comes across, but, you know, and it just, you know, memoir for me is like, you're not alone. You're not the only person who might have experienced this in life, yeah. who feels guilt, who feels, um, feels that, that demon telling you you're not good enough, you shouldn't be doing this. And then to say, well, I'm going to write a book about it. Like, it's pretty yeah. awesome. Well, and, and just- needed. Yeah, I mean, to your point about privilege, I mean, my family went through a a, a downgrade, you know, in class. So to speak, yeah, yeah. And, um, and, but my parents were really, they taught me how to change, how to make amends, how to repair, mm-hmm. and to tell the truth. Um, and that is something that I would never trade. I'm, I'm so glad that, um, my dad made that choice and Mm -hmm. the choices my mom then made with him after that point where I learned, you know, that even though it was traumatizing and had, and I talk a lot in the, in the book about the, the, the long tail of that, and that I'm still wired a certain way because of the way things happened when I was very young. 
Um, but that forgiveness, how to forgive, how to move forward when you've been humiliated or mm-hmm. humiliated yourself. Right. Which is normally the case, right? When you've really, when you've really fucked up and the, the thought of I, how could I possibly move forward? And then just to go and say, I don't care what the consequences are. This mm-hmm. is the truth and mm-hmm. I need to fix it. And it can't live like this anymore. And that is um, made, that gives you courage. I think I've always been someone who's like, mm-hmm. never stop dreaming because my parents, that all happened in their forties. I'm not even the age they were when that happened. happened. And my mom and dad had a whole second chapter of their lives. And so I don't, it's in some ways made me risk tolerant when it comes to life changes, going after a career change, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, some of it is like, you know, like who cares? I'll figure out a way to pay for it. That can be bad. <laughs> Into yeah, you know, uh, like we'll we'll make it work. We'll get scrappy. You know that kind of scrappiness I got from that um, experience. But then it can also you know, and then but I also just became so morally rigid from it of like I'm never going to make a mistake. Well, that's not a good place to be in either. So, but it's the complicatedness of it and the the gray area, which I've learned to be more comfortable with, that mm. is the takeaway of living in the in-between is, is hard and social media makes it hard, mm-hmm. but not all good or all bad. You're not all one thing. Right. Yeah. Like things are very, are very black and white for us when we're children, you know, and I, you, and I love how you open the book too, you know, with Talkie Turtle and I, I don't want to give anything away, but you know, I, and Talkie Turtle comes back as a callback later. Um, <laughs> it's just so well done. And I won't mention that either. Cause you got to yeah. read it, but um, I want to talk about when you decided to write this book and telling your family, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to write this memoir. You know, it's your story, but it's their story too. You know, did you get any pushback? Were they freaked out? Like, how did that go? Um, yeah, there was definitely not pushback. You know, my family was, you know, they, they were wonderful. I mean, they, one member, I won't call out specifics and just in case um, they don't mm-hmm. want to be called out specifically, but one, one sibling was like, you know, I, you don't need my permission, but I appreciate you asking me. Hmm. And everyone expressed fears Sure. Um, uh, everybody did my dad, you know, like, but they, they, they were, could not have been more supportive. Um, mm. and there were some parts of the book that I very specifically went over with people that were more sensitive mm-hmm. to make sure they were okay with the way I was characterizing certain things, but I didn't let them read it until February, like of this 2020 yeah, January or February. Yeah. Like wow. the very last uh, draft. Wow. You wanted I, it to be right. right. And I'm glad I didn't. That was the advice everyone gave me. I mean, some people do it differently. They're, they're sending off pages, you know, they're sending off chapters. They're, when you, you know, they're, it's almost like a group effort. Mm-hmm. Um, but I decided on the advice of some wise people to let them see it towards the end, mainly because um, it changed so much and I'm really glad that I showed them the final version because it was too much of a mess and then they'd have to read it again. And I, you know, every you time want it to be fresh. Yeah. Every time I sat down to read it, it was hell. <laughs> you know, I don't want them to have to go through it again. <laughs> unless they want to, you know, 
So uh, they could not have been more supportive. And the day that they all, I sent it to them and they read it, they all read it right away. And I just was, I've said this before, but I was walking on air. I mean, it, mm. it, it could have been, it, the book could have disappeared the next day and no one else could have read it. But the fact that they liked it meant everything to me. That's and, awesome. Um, so that's been just really wonderful for the relationships in my family of feeling, I was already close to them, but just knowing yeah. they're so loved and taken care of. I'm very fortunate mm. to have that type of family. And that's, that's my mom's legacy too. It was so, nothing mattered more to her than for her children to remain close. You're going to make me cry. I know. Because <laughs> oh, I totally, like, there were so many moments in this book where I literally would just could not stop crying. But I got to say, like, you know, there's, like, the sad cry, like, Magnolia cry. And then there's, like, the warm, fuzzy, this is so good cry. And there was uh, so many so good cries. But, oh, you know, you. balanced with, um, with yeah. humor. Um, That's my favorite place is laughing through tears. Totally. Yeah. I, that at that ultimate release of every emotion at once is mm-hmm. ooh, it's right. Love. I seek out art that does that. Um, yeah. Something that moves you. Yeah. Yeah. That changes that, you. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that it's, it's, it's lightning in a way, you know, like you're, you're feeling uplifted, even though you may be feeling, I hate crying. I get mad, you know, at, at the Today Show sometimes because I'll show some video of a little kid doing something cute. And I'm like, God damn it, I'm not red. It's 7 a.m. crying. You know, like, <laughs> it's like one of the most healing things to just like, sometimes I'm like, oh, this feels so good to just cry. I know. I know. Um, you just said something that I'm going to skip to. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about transitions. Mm-hmm. So, I, I would love to just have a whole conversation about the transitions in this book, because as I was reading them, I'm like, oh my God, this is so good. This is so brilliant. Did she have to go back and like, Adam, did they happen naturally? So I really appreciate how you take the reader from one scene to the next. Oh, everyone open to page. <laughs> yes. Actually, if you'd like to read along in your hymnal, do you mind if I read it? I'm going to have you read too. Yeah, no, you, you can, I, we don't even need to have me read. <clears throat> oh no, I'm doing this. Okay. I, I'm doing this and so are you because okay. you have an audiobook, and so people need to hear you read it. Oh, that's true. I got to sell it, sell it, sell yeah, it. We got <laughs> to sell it because I'm really excited. I've already read it and I love okay. it, but I'm, I can't wait to hear the audiobook. But okay, so transition. So there's this awesome way that you bring us from one scene, one chapter to the next. And you, most of the time you go back and forth between the Grand Canyon trip and then childhood. So these transitions are badass. So here we are. If people want to follow along in their hymnal, (laughs) I'm on page 84. This is ending chapter seven. And of course I get a frog in my throat. Mm -hmm. Here it comes. Here comes the breakthrough, but then crack. Another lightning bolt spidered across the sky and sent me scrambling down the hillside. Whatever epiphany this place was going to bring me would have to wait. Chapter 8. It was the first holiday season after Dad's lightning bolt to our life. Okay. I was like, oh my God, it's so good. It's like it reminds me of those movies. I thought I was being too heavy-handed at times. Really? Oh my God, I love it. But then editors and, you know, people reading the book were like, 
no, it's good. It's so good. Yeah. I had some suggestions for a little more connection in certain places, but no, that, the, the, that final back and forth structure from Grand Canyon chapter to life chapter, mm-hmm. um, uh, mm-hmm. someone very eloquently described it as like, Grand Canyon, and then you submerge into my life, you know, like you go under, you know, um, uh, that one and one back and forth came in the very last edit, you know, it was, mm. I, had, I, I was, you know, sort of like, oh, now there's three chapters of life and now we're back in, the, and it was just a little all over the place and a mess, but um, I, we ended up saying, and I say we, because I always... I'm like, I wrote this book. Stop acting like, I, you know, I, but I had editors that were very good. And advice. And, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. I did not have a ghostwriter. I just want to make it very clear. I wrote this book. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> and some but, people do. So I think that's fair to point out. Yeah, no. Um, but yeah, the, the, the back and forth of it, uh, once, once, once I got that, it was, it just felt so good. It was like, this is clicking now and it's it's um you know when I sort of the first draft I hadn't even gone on the Grand Canyon trip yet so the first draft of this really didn't oh my gosh I didn't that was my next question yeah go ahead (laughs) but no no it's like like the container really is the Grand Canyon and so my question was when did you decide that that would be the container for the whole story Um, well, I went, I got my notes back on the first draft and, um, you know, the first drafts are, are garbage usually. And and I wasn't prepared. We call them your shitty first draft for a reason. Well, see, I was ignorant and I thought my first draft was the shitty first draft. I didn't realize the first draft that like your editor reads is the shitty first draft. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? I was like, oh, brilliant. Click, send, you know, and then it was like, this needs a lot of work. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, but yeah, the, 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 um, I got the notes back and I was already, I had, the trip was planned. It had nothing to do with the book. And mm-hmm. I went on the trip and it wasn't until like a month, two months later, I was like dreading getting back into writing and I just started thinking a lot about the trip and I was like, God, there's just so much that I, that down there that felt relevant and what I went through. And it's so fresh in my mind. Yeah. And it, cause one of the feedback I got on it, one of the, the pieces of feedback was that this needs more fun hmm. and more humor and lightness and, and place and story. And, you know, I, I, it, made me think about all that. And I was like, God, I have a, something that I am excited to write about. And I need that because the other stuff was so difficult to write about that made it easier um, to give it this container. And it just sort of then from there organically came together. Um, Hmm. And once I was off and running, I was like, Oh, this is good. I think this could work. And this is working the title. And then it was like, wow, I, I love this, you know? Awesome. Well, I was going to ask, you know, when you finished that, that draft that you thought was ready and you sent it to the editors and you're like, this is ready. When you finally finished the book and in January or February, when you gave it to your family, did you like feel like, oh my God, like 
did it did it feel like you've birthed this this baby that's like now it's good like now it's yeah, right that was you the, know yeah that was the version where i was like wow like i'm a writer you know like <laughs> I, I, I learned so much about writing in the process well then they don't tell you after that there's like a zillion more rounds of edits <laughs> And I was like, going. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, we're done. Send. And then they'd be like, okay, so uh, another a few more notes we need to. And I'm like, what? Like every time I thought it was over, there would be another round. But then each time it would get better and better, you know? Better and better. There's the copy edit. The, then there was proofreading. I didn't know that was, you know, there was so many little. Mm-hmm. Then it was like, I didn't want to let go of it. I wanted to keep tinkering. I like. Because you thought it'll keep getting better. Like it's, it's gotten this much better. So if we oh, keep yeah, going. I still think that I think there's like one sentence that I'm truly like, fuck, okay. I just, I went back and forth and I don't like it. I don't like the way I wrote that. Like nobody would ever even know <laughs> or, you know, I mean, but yeah, I think that it is as good as it's going to be. I've never worked on anything this much before. One mm. single piece of writing, never, mm. you know, stand up is so fleeting and yes, you were, I mean, you'll work on a joke for 10 years, but that joke is part of a larger rolling, evolving set. And then you retire a joke and then maybe you'll bring back an old one, but the jokes are more in the wind and they're just so short. And, you know, it's my, I, I there was a time where I was really working hard on an hour of material. And every day I was, I did the Edinburgh French Festival and you perform every night for 30 days and it's really way more challenging than I ever thought it would be. And every day I would sit down, I had a script, a transcript of my show, my jokes, and I would tinker with them every single day. That's probably the most intense I've ever worked on my standup. And that was maybe 15. uh, No, it was probably 30 pages Hmm. of text you know, and this is way more, you know, so just to give you a sense of like, there was just just such a bigger project and um, knowing what was good writing, you know, you go into it, I thought I'm a good writer, you know, and then I look back and I'm like, I didn't know shit. I I learned so much (laughs) about a turn of phrase or how you write um, memoir and and Hmm. things I didn't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not much of a reader. I'll be honest with you. I'm a writer. I, I, I prefer to create rather than consume, even though I do consume a lot. Um, and I have read a lot since getting into this book, but, um, cause I was like, what are other people doing? You know, not, I shouldn't, sure. have, there were some books I shouldn't have read. <laughs> they, they were too intimidating. Like, you know, you read, a, you read, I was like, what are the best memoirs? And then I was like, Oh my God, these people's lives are so right. much more interesting than mine. <laughs> Then that's not a good spot to get into. But I read a whole variety of books and then I was like, oh, that's how it, you just realize like, oh, there's a way to tell a story mm-hmm. this way or that way. Mm-hmm. It was good to get a, um, a sort of like taste of a buffet of different types of memoirs that made me realize like, oh, it's not so much the story you're telling, it's how you tell it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So, I mean, you could say, hey, you know, you had a good life, like, you know, nothing terrible happened. You didn't grow up, you know, being beaten. I mean, something sad things did happen. I don't want to downplay that. No, yeah, I had trauma, but it's not, yeah, it's, there was a lot of struggle to accept and kind of what we were talking about earlier was like, 
is my story worthy? Right, um, right. Is it good enough? Is it important enough? Um, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. It was a yeah. really huge hurdle for me to get over because I just thought, God, nobody fucking cares. Like, you know, just this is so stupid. And I, I get that little voice sometimes still in my head, but um, now I'm just sort of like, you know what? Everybody's story is valid and mm-hmm. there's a place for it. I've read memoirs that are truly nothing happens and they're wonderful, you know? Like, yeah, it's how um, it's the telling, right? Like you said, it's yeah, the telling. Yeah, so, I, you know, I think um, I feel very privileged in my life, but I have problems just like anybody else. It's how I feel about the, the pandemic. It's like, yeah, some people are really going through some shit right now. And yeah. I don't know what that's like, you know, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. the conversation, do you have kids or do you don't, do you not have kids? How much harder it is if you have kids and all that. And it's like, but that doesn't make my experience invalid. Exactly. I'm allowed. Yes. Now, I think we need to be judicious about how we express our pain and, and mm-hmm. in a public forum of like, and, and, and understand how to read the room, you know, like, but I'm even like sympathetic, right? I mean, there's no way this pandemic isn't hard for almost everybody. And Absolutely. I'm like even celebrities. I'm like, man, mm-hmm. they, they don't yeah. have red carpets, you know, that's oh, poor not, babies. You know, Isolation's hard. Hard. That's <laughs> I mean, like, you know, it's, <laughs> well, I mean, and then I feel like there's so many layers to the isolation, you know, that this feeling of, uh, politically there's 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 civil unrest you know there's we need social justice like there's so many things and it's like oh my memoir but but that's the beauty of it is that your memoir is a shining light you know that reminds us how beautiful life is to not give up on our dreams to say screw the haters because i'm gonna do this and i am worthy and i that message is so important that's so well done in this book i'm gonna hold it up again i love it so much okay wait what what were you gonna say no well i was gonna totally change the subject so okay i want to go back to the writing because i think one of my favorite parts about this book is the writing so i want to talk about your use of callbacks they're used quite often you know you reference something from earlier in the book to make a point or a joke and as a reader like i really like that because it created this feeling of intimacy like i kind of felt like i was in on it like i was included on the in, in the in the joke you know what i mean and i wonder is this a technique that you brought over from writing comedy oh yeah yeah 100% from comedy. I mean, callbacks are like, you know, part of your toolbox in comedy that are, that is one of the most essential ones because you can use a callback to, uh, you know, tie a show together, tie a joke together, tie, you know, and, and you're right. I've never heard it phrased that way, but that's a really good way to describe it. It's a feeling of being on the inside of like, you get it. It's an inside. Like joke. I'm clever. Ooh, you I got were, that. You yeah. were here for the other part. And now you get to enjoy this because you were paying attention. You know, it's a reward. Um, yes. But also I think callbacks work. Uh, yeah. They're inside jokes in a way because, um, you know, that they're big in my family. You know, it's like, you know, the, the little that was there was a point where I talk about my mom 
yelling at some lady in the driveway uh, of our house. And mm-hmm. you know, I love your mom, by the way. Yeah. During she, that scene, I was like, go mom. Yeah. She comes <laughs> in and do like, some people do just not get it, you know? And, <laughs> and you know, and then I wrote, uh, I, we got it. I got it. You know, I love feeling like I'm in with you and, you know, we get, we, we speak the same language. We're part of something together. And I I think that that is a very normal human desire. So that makes me feel so good that you felt that in my book, because that's how I want people to feel in my life. That is, I want you to feel like you belong around Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. because that's what I'm looking for. (laughs) Aren't we all though? That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. Um, you also kid around with the reader a lot, you know. Um, I love it when you're you're in a scene and um, all of a sudden you're like, you know, and of course I slept, slept soundly throughout the night and, you know, everything was perfect. And then you're like, just kidding. It was the worst night of my life. I didn't get any sleep. And it's like, you know, this moment where I'm going along with you and I'm like, yeah, it's so perfect. And, oh, no, life's not perfect. And it's like, it's perfectly jarring in the, in the way that it kind of wakes me up because you had me, I'm like going with it. Oh, just kidding. Yeah. It can be, that was one thing that was like worked really well in the audio book. Cause mm-hmm. I knew the, the, the touch of sarcasm mm-hmm. and in it, but it was, it was something I had to really tinker with and I got feedback on, which was like, this reads like a joke, like a stand up joke. Like it's meant to be read out loud. And I was like, well, that is, what I do. So that's right, yeah. getting that from it. Um, but interestingly in the, in the, um, when I was recording the audiobook, some parts were like, Oh, this works better written on the page and it's mm. not as good read out loud. And mm. it was interesting to see just creatively, like which parts were working better in it. But I mean, it wasn't like it didn't work at all, but it was definitely like uh, a cool experience I've never been through before. Was it was it hard to to read your own book and know that like this is going to be an audio book? No, I was like, I oh, I I will be reading the audio book. I was like, this is what I'm born to do. Um, <laughs> I was uh, I was surprised at how challenging it was at first. I was real. I kind of wish I'd gone back and been like, can we re-record chapter one because now I'm warmed up and I get it. Oh uh, yeah. I kind of wish I'd done that, but but I'm still I'm happy with how it turned out. I I heard one minute of it they sent me a little clip to put out and I was like, I will never listen to this because I hate it. <laughs> Normally I'm okay with the sound of my own voice. But I was like, you, I was like, lady, stop talking. Like shut your mouth. <laughs> That's how I Too talk. much. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of um, you reading your book, w- would you mind reading um, sure. a segment? All right. Let me, let me, uh, just, I want to be able to see myself in, I've hidden my self view right now so that I don't just be like this the whole time. I just want to turn not like blocking my face. Okay. <laughs> All right. This is from Grant by Sarah Schaefer. Uh, do, I, you. do I say chapter 10? What do I do? I've never done this. <laughs> well, if we need a little bit of place, you know, tell us like yeah. if we need to okay. know where we are and what's happening, just kind of get, fill us in yeah. and then, then read. You actually don't need it with this. That's how good of a writer I am. Okay. Damn good. Do it. (laughs) When I started college, guys, I'm starting college. That's what. (laughs) Okay, here we go. When I started college, I'd been dreaming of going for the better part of six years. Ever since my nerd camp, SEP, had given me a taste. 
I would be attending the College of William & Mary, which sounds like a fancy private school, but is actually a state school that I could afford to pay for by myself through student loans. As excited as I was for this new chapter, I was also freaking out about it. I was a little concerned about my faith. On campus, the devil would surely be afoot, and I worried about not fitting in. Would any of these strangers relate to my simultaneous appreciation of the hipster Christian teachings of Jars of Clay and the period blood moon howlings of Tori Amos? But these were trifles compared to a much larger looming fear. Thumb. Yep, remember Thumb? And you have to know, I am a thumb sucker. (laughs) Still to this day. (laughs) Remember Thumb? I was sucking it this entire time. I had been a master concealer of my habit, but I knew college might leave me exposed. Thumb was so intrinsically a part of my existence that I wouldn't even realize I was doing it. And this fact implanted a terror in me so deep, I barely slept for the weeks leading up to freshman orientation. For this reason, it was vital that I showed up on the first day looking fly. Makeover sequences in film and TV have taught women to subconsciously expect that their entire lives can change with the right haircut. So the day before moving, I excitedly sat down in a salon chair and specifically requested a minor trim with long layers, a radical choice. The stylist nodded and prepared her scissors for transformation. Have you ever pranked your hairstylist? Like when they make that first cut, you scream and pretend they made a horrible mistake. It's fun. You should try it. What's not fun is when you actually scream because they're actually making a horrible mistake. The woman had cut a chunk two inches above my eyebrows, which if you factor in my curl, resulted in a half inch lock of hair boinging, boinging perpendicularly off my face. That monster had given me a bang. What are you doing? The entire salon of yappy suburban, la- su- yappy suburban ladies fell silent. The stylist said, I'm cutting your bangs. I was just doing what you told me to do. <laughs> if I had actually died right then, which is what I felt like doing, my final words would have been a quivering whisper. Long layers, long layers. The light leaves my, leaves my eyes and I go to Jesus. Um, I'll skip ahead here. I got into the car home. I got into the car and drove home screaming. This was not how I had intended on beginning my new life. As I pulled into the driveway, mom was driving out in the kidnap wagon, which was what we nicknamed her weird minivan. uh, Which I love, by the way. Storage van that she drove. Uh, Cargo van, sorry. She rolled down the window, a huge smile on her face. Let me see your hair. I shrieked from my car window to hers. Awful. I could barely get the words out through the sobs. Ruined! She sobbed, stopped the van and got out, and I could tell from her reaction that I wasn't imagining the destruction. Um, I don't know. Should I, should I do more? Should I skip ahead? What, what's, the, what's the protocol here? Let's leave it there. I mean, you know, you got to find Let's out what let like. people know. Yeah, buy the book to find out what happens. I love that scene. And by the way, I have really unruly curly hair myself, and I've been there. I've been in that chair yeah. where I had to yell, oh my God. These are, I just got these cut. They look really good right now, but this <laughs> will become such a mess. And, and yes, this, for some reason, they're not that curly. See, this is why you hide yourself, you, because now I'm like. Now you're looking at yourself? It's too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard not to look at yourself on Zoom. I mean, it really human. is. Yeah. It's human. But, you know, I guess you need to know if something's going awry, but I try to try to ignore it. All right. Um, let's talk about uh, a problem you have, if you don't mind. So you're a birthday Scrooge. Yes, I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I, I kid. It's not a problem. I my birthday is July fourteenth, so ah. I'm with you. But I did. I think I might have done the opposite. So I, mm-hmm. I have a question for you. But when I, the minute I became adult, so to speak, I would throw myself huge parties, like mm-hmm. huge parties, the kind that like the the neighbors call the cops, and you know, yeah. potentially <laughs> possibly you get evicted after the party. Like yeah. that's how summer birthdays affected me. So what I want to know is how did you, how how do you sell? I mean. You went to the Grand Canyon on your birthday, but how do you normally celebrate your birthday as an adult? Do you like... Um, so normally when I'm not making a big deal about it, like I did for my 40th, um, I just have dinner with... with I, got, dinner. I just got to eat with my man and maybe a couple friends and that's it. I Keep no it, keeping it on the down low. No presents, nothing. Really? No presents? No. I mean, sometimes, when I, you know, like family will send me presents sometimes and I really appreciate it, but it's not... Um, I'm not, I'm not expecting it. And it's, I, you have to be careful when you're like this, you have to be careful because, because you don't take your birthday seriously. You don't realize how personal people take it. If you don't give them the the energy that they are used to. Mm-hmm. And I think I have hurt people's feelings before by being like, what happy birthday. Like, I don't care. <laughs> It's just a birthday. Yeah. Yeah. And so I have to realize, like, I, I have, like, reminders in my calendar. And, like, you know, just be like, don't, you know, it's something I have to actually, like, work at. Like, I'm not naturally very good at, at celebrating other people's birthdays for them. So what's your favorite holiday? Um, I do love Christmas um, a lot. But, uh, yeah, Christmas, Thanksgiving's great, too. But, yeah, I think Christmas is probably my number one holiday because of uh, kids and the decorations. I really go all out with the de- decorations. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also just love summertime and our, our annual beach vacation, which I was going to write more about in the book, but it just didn't fit. Mm-hmm. I don't think I barely even mentioned it, but we have a yearly tradition to go to the Outer Banks in North Carolina. And it's, uh, that's, that's my favorite time of year. That was my mom's favorite place. Cool. And Julie has joined us. I have one more thing I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. I've been stalking you on Twitter. I hope that's okay. And I was, I was very disappointed to see that Christy gives away the fact that you are not eaten by a bear in your memoir. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Which begs the question. Yeah. Why? Why was I not murdered? (laughs) <laughs> Why did she have to tell people okay, that you? So when so this past weekend, um, NBC News has like a blog called Think for Think Pieces or you know whatever, and mm-hmm. um, they published an excerpt from the book, but they did not really make it clear that it was an excerpt, and they put it with a headline that was like, "I went camping with my sister. I thought camping with my sister in the Grand Canyon would be a great idea." At first. (laughs) (laughs) It's like that noir. Right. They were were about to read a story of me cutting my own arm off or something. And um, I understand why people were upset. But the angry messages I got about this isn't news. Why do I care? (laughs) Menopausal. I'm like, menopausal? What What is happening? Like, when do you think menopause happened? You're you're quite a year away from that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's the same. (laughs) 
Well, I just, for one, I'm really glad that you didn't die in your memoir. Thank you. I am too. I mean, you know, look, look, if you're looking for that kind of story, this isn't it. This is a, this is a, <laughs> a story of mental survival of, Amen to that. you know, that, and, um, and it's a, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I'm interested. Some people have strong feelings about the ending and I'm, but I love the ending. So oh, don't give it away. I love the ending. <laughs> I, no, we won't, we won't I give won't. it away. No, the ending's perfect, and the container wraps it up so nicely. You know, it's a redemption story in in my mind. You know, um, it's it's a typical finding yourself. Um, if you have I, anxiety, I this it. book will make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's important. And who doesn't? I mean, uh, but that's at what least I'm saying. a Everyone, little bit. Yeah, right. especially nowadays. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This yeah. book is so good, and yeah. and if you, it doesn't matter if you read memoir. It, right. it, it doesn't matter. It reads like a novel. Um, it's funny. It's heartwarming. It's real. It's really, really well written. Thank you so much. It really means a lot coming from y'all. You know. Thank you for joining us today. This has been a Warwick's sponsored interview. Until next time, stay safe.